The live-action Aladdin provides a foundation to discuss greed versus contentment, external versus internal change, and the attributes of God. Are you just watching episode 93, Aladdin 2019? Welcome to the podcast that shares critical thinking for the entertained Christian. I'm Eve Franklin. I'm Tim Martin. And we're doing the live action remake of Aladdin for this month. It was just the only one that was really timed accurately for us to get our podcast out. There were several other movies we talked about doing. Yeah. Yeah, there were, but none of them really. Eh. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, Men in Black International looks interesting and I may eventually see it, but. I don't know what we could have talked about in it. It's, so. That's not out yet, is it? No, it comes out in the this, middle of it, like in the next week or so. Yeah, and yeah I, I didn't think the timing would have worked for it anyway. So, But we did another remake. We did the, the Beauty and the Beast one of the yes, Disney rebake, <laughs> remakes. <laughs> Sorry, Freudian <laughs> slip there. So they've been coming out with a series of these remakes. I know we've got The Lion King coming out later this summer. Uh, which t- technically is not a live action remake because <laughs> it's still animated. So that, I don't know how that counts. That would be a little disturbing, as... really. Well, the thing is, is they tried to make it look like a live action, but it's still CGI. So I don't know how that really is going to work. I mean, it looks a little more realistic. I've looked at the previews for it, yeah. but yeah, that one's July nineteenth. To be honest. The original animated Aladdin was not my favorite of the Disney movies. And I think I was trying to rack my brain as to why I didn't like it. I think because I love Robin Williams. In fact, I think that was really the only reason to watch the movie was because of Robin Williams. But I think the issue I had with it was number one, it came out when I was an adult. So I didn't have, I couldn't come to it with a child's eyes. Mm -hmm. And I felt like it was the first of the new Disney princess style where the the female is a very strong character and there's none of the typical you know beautiful Disney princess who's rescued by the man kind of thing and I think it was the first time that Disney really departed from the typical princess I guess is what I'm trying to say wouldn't the first Beauty and the Beast have been the lead-in to that uh, strong princess stereotype? I don't think Belle was nearly as strong as uh, as Jasmine. Jasmine. Yeah. Huh. It's, I'm, I'm the other way. I think I think of Belle as being a more independent character, I guess would be the word, than Jasmine. In, we're talking the, you know, the 20th century versions right. of these, of these right. movies. Right. I guess for me, Belle was in the circumstances where her independence didn't stand out as being woman power, where I feel like Jasmine's was. Mm -hmm. But this is one of my reactions to this Aladdin is I actually liked this Aladdin more. Mm. And I think one of the reasons that I do is because the live action uh, couched that uh, personification of the strong princess in a better light, in my opinion. Yeah. And I thought, even though Jasmine was stronger in this movie, I think because it was live action and felt a little more culturally relevant, that it fit better. And so I actually liked this version of Aladdin better than the original. And for multiple reasons. And as I said before, 
I didn't like the original. So it's yeah. just bumped itself up a little higher uh, than the original one. I'm, I'm the other way around. While the original one came out when I was an adult, I had young children. So mm-hmm. I have seen all of the original Disney movies uh, hundreds of times. <laughs> More than you wanted to, right? <laughs> Still taking therapy for it. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I, I knew them inside and out. And really, it's for me, Robin Williams uh, was the core of the original one. So I was actually skeptical going in that Will Smith could fill Robin Williams' shoes. And he was actually the... That's a completely different discussion, though, because, like I said, the only thing that was I watched the original Aladdin for was Robin Williams. Yeah. I think that the original movie should not have been called Aladdin. It should have been called The Genie, because <laughs> the whole, like you said, the core of the movie was Robin Williams. It had nothing to do with Aladdin. It was all about displaying Robin Williams's uh, ability to improv. And yeah. we all know that what an incredible improv artist he was. And this one is definitely the other way around. This one titled Aladdin is actually more appropriate because the Will Smith's genie did not steal the spotlight in this one. No, no. And that was it was a better balance of the cast. Yeah, I got to agree with that. Every character was relevant. And, and I think the live action helped with that. I think probably my least favorite character in the original. And this is this is how bad I am. I had to go rent the original. I actually check it out of the library and watch it last weekend because I had only seen the original Aladdin once when it first came out, and I hadn't seen it since. So I had decades <laughs> of forgetfulness on that. So I couldn't remember <laughs> anything about it. I just had to close my eyes. It continually plays along with all the other movies. <laughs> Well, I went to see my first showing of this Aladdin without really remembering the previous one. I got to watch it fresh without any contamination. And then I watched the original one. And then I went back to see Aladdin again. And then I could see how much was similar and how much was different, which helped a lot. But I think that the live action especially made my least favorite character in the original a much better character. And that was uh, the Sultan. I feel like his uh. character, he was just in there for the comic relief in the original. And I felt like his his role in the in the movie is is an important one. And to turn that important figure into a bumbling idiot, it ruined the movie for me. Once again, I'm the other way around. I enjoyed his comic relief. I liked the bumbling character and his redemption at the end of the movie. A very small redemptive arc, mind you. But his redemption at the end of the movie uh, was gratifying because, you know, you get to see him step up and take charge a little bit. Just just a little bit. But it was so much – the original movie was so much more f- fun for me. Mm-hmm. It, was, yeah. it was less serious. And this one was serious to the point of being – dark (laughs) and some of the darkness worked yeah it was darker but i think it was just because it was live action i think anytime you take life and death drama into a live action setting it makes it more powerful and darker Mm. and it this was essentially the same movie it was just because it was live action and it was real people instead of animated people it made the whole thing feel a little darker and 
I appreciate that because I think like there were aspects in the story that needed to be presented that way. I feel like the original Aladdin was made for really young kids that wouldn't get most of what's going on, the subtlety of the, of the plots and the story and the yeah. underlying themes. And, and they would go right the over jokes. their heads. Yeah. Yeah. But this movie was, I think, made for an older audience, not necessarily in the fact that it had stuff in it that was inappropriate for younger audiences, just that it was, especially even like the ages of the of Aladdin and Jasmine and all of that, I think it was definitely aimed at an older audience. Yeah, it does. It does make sense. It's I, I mean, it, it has discussion of death and everything in there. Plus, Jafar mm-hmm. is a much scarier character yeah and and that that i definitely agree is because he's live action now Mm -hmm. he's a real person on the screen taking these clearly evil actions yes whereas the jafar in the 1992 or whatever version was uh comically he was a satire of of evil people (laughs) yeah I don't know. I just I appreciated the fact that they gave uh, they fleshed out some of the backstories on the characters like we understand why the sultan has sequestered Jasmine because he lost her mother mm-hmm. and he fears losing her and I did appreciate that. That I mean it just feels like there's so many more there's depth to the characters. They're not just uh painted images on the screen like they were in the animated one. Yeah. All just circling and circling the genie to make him stand out i mean that was what the original one was and this one every character is perfectly balanced with motivation it just it makes more sense Mm -hmm. and like i said i liked robin williams i i'm not a thing against him they made them a movie to showcase him and it it was beautiful and the the dvd that i checked out of the library was the special anniversary collection and it had this huge thing on the blu-ray about robin williams and Mm -hmm. they actually put had rough animated all of the extra content and threw it on there so you could see how much he how much no. they said they got hours and hours and hours of content from him. Was and the anniversary really... edition released post uh, Robin Williams' death? Yes. Okay. Yes. And uh, so they, they were talking about, you know, how much, you know, his, what a loss it was. But that movie showcased Robin Williams. This movie showcases a lot of other things. Yeah. Will Smith did a terrific job as the genie. And I think that his performance looks underrated if you put it next to Robin Williams's performance, but I think it properly balanced his character in the full frame of the story. He is more of a person than Robin right. Williams genie was. Right. And, and they brought you to that right from the beginning because the ship with his family and him sitting down to tell his kids. And I mean, I love the way they framed the whole story yeah, that it wasn't agreed. just some random merchant telling you the story of, you know, the genie and the lamp, it was the genie as a person looking back on the story of the genie and the lamp. Yeah. I love the way they framed that. That was beautiful. In the opening scene, you see the mother, right? Or do you just hear her? Mm-hmm. No, you see her. Okay. So I didn't recognize her as Dahlia later. I didn't recognize Dahlia as the mother later on. Mm. It wasn't until the very end of the movie that I went, oh, of course. <laughs> Yeah, when you see it more than once, a lot of that stuff you look for. But it was overall, at least in my estimation, while it is aimed at a slightly older audience, it's still a friendly, friendly film. There Mm -hmm. were some good themes in it to watch. But before we get too much 
into further, I need to mention the music. Yes. Because yes. it is, a, I mean, it is a musical. So the music is, imp, is important. The music from the original and from this one are both by Alan Menken. He was the one that wrote the songs for the original Aladdin and they brought him back for the, for the remake, which is good because they did add a song and the song I felt like was probably not the best edition, but it helped flush Jasmine out. So the one song that they added was uh, the the song Speechless, which is Jasmine's uh, song, which she really didn't get in the original one. Her only song was The Whole New World, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And this one is, you know, her, her speechless one. And... We can talk about that a little bit later on, but the music is, Alan Minkin also did the score that's just behind everything, and it is a beautiful score. A lot of it reprises some of the uh, major melodies in the various songs, but it is a nice score, and I'm going to play a little bit of it here for you. Now, did Mencken write Speechless as well? Yes, yes. Okay. He added the new song. I ask because the style of the song Speechless was significantly different, but more modern. I felt like mm-hmm. it was more modern than the original music. And I was wondering if they brought somebody else in. I think that may have been partly her voice as well. She has a very modern female vocalist uh, feel mm. to her voice. Oh, good point. Yep. And uh, that can turn any song into a a modern (laughs) feel. It's interesting because one of my friends at work that I discuss movies with had made the comment that he didn't like her voice and he didn't like Will Smith's voice and he didn't like the voice of uh, the actor playing Aladdin. Uh, I probably should pull up IMDb so I can actually say their names. Uh, Mena Masood. Masood. Hopefully we're saying his name right. Uh, it's We've slaughtered so many names on this podcast. It's not like it really matters. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're never going to hear us. So. He is more than welcome to correct us. <laughs> yes. He, and my friend had made the comment that he felt like some of the people had been cast, cast entirely due to their ethnicity mm. and that their acting may not have been as important, you know, because they were trying to get the right look over everything else. And I have to admit that uh, Mena is, or Mina, or however you say his name, his his acting was probably not the greatest, but I think that they may have hired him not just for his ethnicity, but for his athleticism, because he does a lot of cool swinging about the market yeah. uh, to reprise that. He's thief. very gymnastic. Yes. <laughs> and he did a great job in the role, so I'm not going to complain. I thought his acting was pretty... I don't want to say pretty good. I thought his acting was good. It was definitely passable. Uh, I don't mm-hmm. think it was Oscar worthy, but I sort of felt like both of Aladdin and Jasmine were older than I pictured mm-hmm. for the role, but they matched each other because, you know, I always pictured this to be 17, 18 year olds. And these two are clearly in their mid twenties. Yeah. Yeah. They're clearly older. 
Yeah. And I think there's some scenes where it's really obvious that they are older than that yeah. maybe that should be, you know. It, but It's interesting to me that your friend said that he felt like they were cast for their ethnicity. Because uh, in preparation for this recording, I looked up some of the controversies. And mm-hmm. one of the controversies was that ethnic groups were accusing the makers of hiring some white actors and then using makeup to make them look Middle Eastern. Hmm. So, you know, another variation on the whole, uh, is it whitewashing? Is that what they call it? <laughs> well, you know, the the weird thing about that is, is I actually know some, uh, I have known in the past, I don't know anybody currently, but I have known some people in the past who were Middle Eastern um, mm-hmm. by birth. One of my teachers in college was a Palestinian and she uh, had come, I mean, literally from Palestine and married an American, but she was uh, Palestinian. And one of the things that people tend to overlook with the, especially the Middle Eastern peoples is that they are true middle brown. And what yeah. I mean by that is that they can have every shade of brown in in a single family because they have the genes for all of all of the shades all of the tints yeah. because they're true metal brown and so she was actually quite fair she had uh very light skin and very light hair but she had i think it was her father was nearly uh nearly what you would call black and mm-hmm. but he wasn't black he was just a dark metal brown right, and right. and so they have because they have that true middle brown heritage. You can have all shades in the same family. And mm-hmm. it, and so, you know, debating as to whether they hired white people or, or black people or middle brown yeah. people. It, it's people it, looking for something to complain about. It, right, exactly. Because the culture that they're portraying, you could literally walk down the street and see all shades. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because exactly. Because they're true middle brown. And... That's just the way that, you know, the Arabs and the Palestinians and, and that culture are. I mean, that's just what they have genetically. They have the ability to have all the shades in a, in a single family. So yeah. I, I think that was probably just a, ch- a chance to try and bring social politics into, hmm. into where it doesn't belong once again. So. And, you know, uh, it, one of the things that I uh, noticed right away, because like I said, I am constantly reliving this movie. <laughs> uh, was that the lyrics to the very first song had changed. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, oh, man, those darn social justice people, they went and made it less violent. <laughs> Lo and behold, when I actually looked at it, they had made the change that I thought was for this movie before the second release of the VHS. Hmm. Because the original line was uh, where they cut off the where they cut off your ear if they don't like your face, it's barbaric. But hey, it's home. Mm. But uh, when it was re released, they had actually changed the lines to where it's flat and immense, and the heat is intense. It's barbaric, but hey, it's home. <laughs> Thinking you know that that it was the violence. Right. Uh, it turns out that the the American Arab League was actually complaining about the use of the word barbaric. <laughs> Ah, but uh, now they changed it again, and the newest version goes right back to what you were saying about you can find every culture. 
The current mm-hmm. line is, oh, imagine a land, it's a faraway place where the caravan camels roam, where you wander among every culture and tongue. It's chaotic, but hey, it's home. <laughs> yeah. So it's, they, they did do, they did change it, but it's not the change that I thought I was irritated with. <laughs> mm. I'm yeah. actually, I'm actually better, significantly better with this change. I guess, you know, I just wanted to be able to sing along with it and I got it wrong. Oh, yeah. I never knew the lyrics well enough to sing along. I knew some of the songs, but I didn't know the lyrics like word yeah. for word. But I thought that for the most part, the music was fine. And, you know, I think some people might say that Jasmine as a character was more of this whole women's live movement where women mm. have to be powerful and all that. I don't think that fits quite as well, mainly from a cultural standpoint, because if we look at the Muslim Arabic culture, which is what this is based on, Sultan right. is actually a Muslim t- a religious title. It's not a like king. They treat their women like property and women have no voice. So when Jafar is telling her that she must be seen and not heard, that's really the way women are treated in that culture. And I feel like in order to authentically portray that, you needed a strong female character to be able to stand against the common stereotype of women in that culture. And yeah. I think that it, it fit better if you look at it culturally than if you look at it from, you know, what's been going on in Hollywood today in our culture yeah. in, in the West. And uh, I think that Jasmine needed to be strong. And so I felt like, especially with it being live action, that that fit her character better. I mean, that her, Mm -hmm. you know, just deciding that she wasn't going to be muzzled, that she was not going to have her voice stolen, that she was going to speak out and stand her ground. And that fit for her character. And so I didn't have as much of a problem with it in this movie as I would have had somewhere else. I, I think I had a little bit of difficulty just in suspense of disbelief with the level to which they took uh, you know, they they made it about uh, why can't she be sultan? And mm-hmm. that, for me, that was just suspended a little bit difficult to suspend my disbelief just because I was focusing on the culture. And, mm-hmm. and I knew that that was, there was no way that that would have uh, ever been possible in, I presume this to be 18th century, 17th or 18th century um, uh Middle Eastern It's culture. very interesting because I actually did a little research on the uh-huh. position of Sultan. And it turns out there actually have been some female Sultans. And nice. so, some of them have um, simply inherited the role from their husbands. Sometimes they were given that title Sultana because their husbands were Sultans. Um, so they weren't actually ruling, you know, as Sultans. They were just... Mm-hmm. There's a different term in Arabic for uh, the wife of of a sultan, and and typically it's Western Westerners who use the term sultana because it's not uh, an actual Arabic term. But they did say that there have been a couple female sultans, so it's not completely unheard of. But they would have to be extremely strong women in order to to stand in a man's position because like i said earlier it is an actual muslim title it is not it's not necessarily a secular king like i think some people use sultan as like 
a stand-in for like what we would consider a British king, but it's not. It's a. It's actually more of a religious position than it is a secular one. Uh, I I guess I always thought of it like um, the ruler of a city-state type thing. Uh, you know, like the um, the cities of of uh, the Promised Land when when Israel came back from mm-hmm. Egypt. Uh, each city was its own nation unto itself, and that's the way I always looked at the the title of Sultan. But that's interesting. Yeah, I just I I just did a little research on it because I was curious, and yeah. uh, especially the fact that in the at the end she she takes on the title of Sultan, not Sultana, and yeah. and I thought that they they actually were cult- culturally accurate in that because she would not have been in Arabic called Sultana; she would have been called Sultan. If she had that position as a woman, they would not have changed the title as she would still be just Sultan. I don't know. That that part wasn't as much of a suspension of disbelief as it was for the fact that, I mean, if they were going for cultural accuracy, she should have been completely covered. under veil, covered. Well, yeah. uh, that, that, depends. that depends on if this is a post-Islamic or pre-Islamic culture, too, but... Well, Sultan, like I said, is a Muslim term, so they, they're pretty uh, much... I thought Sultan predated uh, Islam, though. It's, oh. it's, I'm, I'm probably wrong. I, but that's all right. I'm going by what I read online. I could be wrong. Yeah. So. <laughs> the only other thing that really bugged me was um, the, the Speechless song had a reprise uh, mm-hmm. near closer to the end of the movie, mm-hmm. which I, I felt was like complete jarringly out of place <laughs> one of my friend that i was discussing this movie with at work he he made the comment that it felt like it was a music video <laughs> and, and uh, I, yeah, yeah i would agree yeah. with that absolutely <laughs> yeah it felt like they stuck a music video in the middle of a musical so. i feel like they could have integrated it better because a, a reprise was good there but then mm-hmm. they had her wandering around and people dissolving vanishing into she, smoke yeah yeah <laughs> It was just like, what is, where did this all come from? Yeah, yeah. But it's still, it you know, so much better, uh, even with this little empowerment lift up in there. It's still mm-hmm. so much better than the uh, women heroes of Endgame, mm-hmm. which just rips me out, ripped me out of the movie. <laughs> This one was like, uh, what's going on? <laughs> I felt like it was culturally appropriate because yeah. we were the the whole thing with her character was that she was standing and trying to stand up against custom and tradition and law. Yeah. And these were all I mean, it was an underlying theme through the whole movie because uh, there there was that whole scene where they and this was in the original. I was kind of surprised to see it where they are both talking in um, Aladdin's hideout his home about how they individually felt trapped in their own sphere, uh, their own Mm -hmm. world. And I really felt like that was that theme kind of was one of the most dominant themes in the movie, because to be honest, the genie's trapped too. So everybody's trapped in their position and they're all looking for freedom. And so it was just a real dominant theme. Yeah. Uh, Jafar was trapped as in second place. Yeah. Yeah, because he kept having, he kept getting mad whenever told he, somebody told him to, somebody told him to be in, you know, stay in his place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
so yeah, I think that it was definitely uh, a major theme. Yeah, it, I, absolutely. And it, it was interesting because it stood out to me that everybody was trapped and everybody was seeking freedom. And they were trapped by mores and laws and traditions. And I think that that's something that in our culture, even though here in the West, we don't have as much tradition and, you know, like the class system that tells you from the day you're born what you're going to be your whole life. We don't have as much of that here in the West. We typically are free to pursue our interests and our and at least find some way to have a hobby or or seek, you know, our own way in the world, then these people obviously would in that kind of culture where it's very structured and very strict. And if you're born a thief, you die a thief. That's just yep. the way it is. Yep. And if you're born a princess, you die a princess. They're just... Uh, you know, yeah. I think a lot of people would probably argue uh, or relate based on economic certainties in the United States. Mm-hmm. It's certainly preached that uh, if you are born in what would you call it economic depression mm-hmm. uh in in a a lower class that uh, that you're never going to get out of there and it's the exception not the rule uh people like um Condoleezza Rice or or Colin Powell i think there's quite a bit of um sympathy there that uh, that people can grab onto regarding being mm-hmm. trapped by circumstances outside of their control but i think you're right there's we don't really have as much restrictive tradition that uh traps people the way the yeah. way it did in in here yeah even less now than we used to yeah well i think that that there there's a difference in looking at that because uh opportunity is something that you have to take hold of and follow and do and make it what you will uh, make you you know, people rise and fall out of the upper and middle classes all the time. It, here in the Western culture, we you can cross class. There's there's nothing, mm-hmm. no law that says if you were born poor, you cannot, you know, get a good job or start a business and make money for yourself and, and pull yourself out of poverty. There's nothing preventing that. Now, there are probably some social attitudes that can create the illusion that that you can't get out of that. And some of that depresses your ability to even try, but there's nothing that is lawfully or socially holding people from grasping onto opportunity and, and pulling themselves out of poverty. I mean, so many people have done it, so they, they may be the exception to the rule, but the fact that they can do it means that it can be done. So it's not, I don't know. I don't, I don't necessarily agree with you that, that there is, a class structure here in the States. I, I think that, uh, I think it's self-imposed. I think it's self-imposed. It's, yeah. 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 It's, I, I think people, and, and I find myself doing this all the time too. I think we look at our situation and we say, it's, it's not worth fighting it. Yeah. And it, but, but that's the thing is we shouldn't want to fight it. Because fighting it just is like a Chinese finger trap. You know, <laughs> you, you get your fingers stuck in there, and the harder you pull, the, the, the tighter the trap gets. Mm-hmm. We really need to find the contentment in our purpose, in our situation. And through that, God can work in us to improve. 
And, you know, yeah. he may never, it, it, it may not be in his plan that I will ever be independently rich. Right. I sure wish it is. <laughs> well, you know, the thing is, is that, and there's two separate kind of themes we're going to have to divide this up because there's the, both of these things are dealt with in the movie. And I want to deal with the first one first. But the interesting thing about, you know, feeling trapped is that it necessarily means that you're bucking against a system that that you want to see outside of. And Jesus, when he came and he died on the cross, he removed the biggest barrier there was for humanity. And that was the bondage of our sin, because we are all trapped by our sin. And we live in a world that is literally devastated by sin. And mm -hmm. it's it's interesting that when, when you try to boil it down to what makes you feel trapped, what makes you feel like you have no liberty or, and a lot of times it's like you said, coveting because coveting is a sin. It's, it's that desire to be, have more than what you have or, or what you God blessed you with. And, and it can become a, it's actually one of the top 10 don'ts in the Bible. <laughs> That you're not supposed to the big 10, the big 10. Yeah. But Jesus brings liberty and it's not just a kind of liberty that is external, but it's internal because it frees your spirit. And then it doesn't matter what your situation is because your spirit has been freed. And I just wanted to bring up a few scriptures here. Uh, the biggest one is going to be from John eight uh, verses 31 through 36. Uh, this is, contains a verse that is often misquoted. <laughs> so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone, which is a massive joke because <laughs> at the time that this conversation is taking on, they are practically slaves of Rome. But yeah. that, that's an aside. How is it that you say you will become free? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, anyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And that is, um, I think, one of the most blessed promises of the New Testament that we actually inherit. It's kind of like even the story, you know, where Jasmine is the princess and Aladdin doesn't feel worthy of her because he's just a street rat. And he and he has no uh, inheritance in in royalty and wealth, and it's just like us. We're just street rats in sin. We have no inheritance in the kingdom of God, but yet we were adopted by God, and we became sons of God, and we we gained all of that in spiritual inheritance that is just a massive liberty. It's it it's freeing, and then. This one also applies really well to this movie. This is from Second Peter two nineteen, and it's in this very long passage. In fact, the entire chapter, Second uh, Peter two, is talking about identifying false teachers, mm -hmm. and it's good thing for everybody to memorize because once you've memorized it, you can look out and see all of the false teachers that are currently assaulting the church here in in the West. Uh, it's it's kind of scary to watch, but one of the things mm -hmm. in Verse 19 says, they promise them liberty, but they themselves are slaves of corruption for whatever overcomes a person to that he is enslaved. So especially the prosperity gospel, they're always 
making all kinds of promises of freedom from, you know, sickness or poverty or yeah. uh, all of these things that people feel trapped by. And they're, they're empty promises because the people who are making these promises are slaves of corruption and they are just corrupting the gospel and adding things to it that were not there. Yeah. You know, the freedom that we receive through Christ is freedom that we gain through his death and we have to be willing to die with him and mm -hmm. through him. Die to self. Yes. Yeah. For me, that's a, a big part of it is, uh, you don't feel trapped if you're content, mm -hmm. but to offer a, a segue into our next topic as well, you also uh, don't feel jealous if you're content. Paul is talking to the church in Philippi about contentment, and he says um, in Philippians 4, 11 through 12, I don't say this out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I find myself. I know both how to make do with little and I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I learned that the secret is being of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. Mm. And this is actually, a, this is a lot of what you learn in the military. <laughs> uh, you know, the, mili the military actually has a whole bunch of... Uh, funny and sometimes uh, crude sayings uh, that all come down to embrace the suck mm -hmm. because uh, there's nothing you can do to change it. So just be content in, in what you've got. And I think embracing Christ is the vast majority of how to reach that contentment. And if you're not content with where you are, you're going to be jealous of what everybody else has. Mm -hmm. Um, and jealousy is greed and jealousy are a big part of the, the storyline here, even more so with Aladdin 2019 than it was with the original Aladdin. Mm -hmm. And Jafar's character. To, yeah. Yeah. And well, even in, even in Aladdin's, I think. To some degree. Yeah. Well, he yeah, learns it, his it, lesson that Jafar doesn't. <laughs> yeah. At the very end, you know, for a second, you sort of felt like Aladdin may flip the tables and not – and go with, you know, getting more princely, more money, mm -hmm. uh, becoming a real prince. Uh, much more so, I felt, than in the original one. You really didn't get that choice. Well, the thing is, is that they removed uh, something from the movie in that segment. In – because – Jasmine wants to be Sultan in the live action instead mm. of just being more, having more say in what happens to her people, which was, I think was what was in the original. Uh, the idea was that Aladdin would marry her and become Sultan. And so in the original, he was, that was kind of a shock to him. I'm just a street rat and a thief. I don't know what's, you know, how, how am I supposed to be Sultan? I don't know how to do that. And that was where his crisis of conscience came was because he didn't want to be Sultan. And mm -hmm. in this movie, his crisis, crisis of cult conscience came because the genie called him on his, that he was drinking from the cup of money and yeah. power that he had warned him against from the very beginning. And that was 
where I wanted to go with our next theme because we were talking about contentment and, you know, that when you covet what other people have, that never satisfies. And that was actually the very words of the genie. He mentions uh, earlier on, he says, do not drink from that cup. There isn't enough money and power in the world to satisfy. It's one of those cravings that the more you get, the more you need it. It's like an addictive drug. And the more you need it, the less it it satisfies. And so it just, you end up gorging on it and getting nothing out of it because you still need more. In fact, he says that later, it says the more you have, the more you want. So it's, yeah. it it's like treating money and power as the addictive drug that it is. And I think that they brought that out so well in this movie. And, uh, that they used, they used Will Smith's portrayal of the genie, I think very well mm-hmm. in making him the deliverer, deliverer of this moral <laughs> viewpoint. Mm-hmm. And I, I liked the addition of this, uh, of, I wouldn't call it a storyline so much, but I liked the addition of this moral story of greed because it really, it really wasn't strongly in the first one. No, it wasn't. And Aladdin's character needed that because what it was, was at first, all he wanted was to get the girl, right? Yep. And and becoming the prince was just the facade that he needed in order to get close to Jasmine so that he could win her mm-hmm. heart. And But then when he because realized- she had to marry a prince. She had to marry a prince. It was those social mores, those the, the law. But once he got up there, he decided that he needed to- be the prince in order mm-hmm. to keep her. And that was where he started to fumble with that whole, you know, greed for money and power. He was sipping from the cup without even realizing right. it. And the genie had to call him on it because he was like, you're going to drink from that cup now. And that's not, that's not what's what you should be doing. And this, this is about you. This is, And he thought that the genie was being, uh, wanted to, that final wish to set him free, which is what the original deal was between them. Mm-hmm. But the genie was like, no, that's not my concern. I'm more worried about the changes I'm seeing in you. You're becoming a different person and it's breaking my heart. And that's what this kind of stuff does. I mean, when you, when you, when you sip from the cup of even the prosperity gospel, I mean, that's what it is. It's putting things and health and, and riches and all of these things above satisfying our um, hearts and our spirits with the water and the bread of Christ. And those were the things that we should be filling our satisfaction with is Christ. So the Proverbs, of course, has lots to say um, on this topic. <laughs> yeah, it does. But I picked out I was, Proverbs. I was impressed that you only that you only picked out one proverb. <laughs> <laughs> um, Proverbs 23, 1 through 5 When you sit down to eat with a ruler, observe carefully what is before you and put a knife to your throat if you are given to appetite. Do not desire his delicacies, for they are deceptive food. Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it is gone, for suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle toward heaven. And that is how ephemeral the desire for for wealth and power is it's, it just yeah. melts out of your hands it's it's not something you can hold on to i it's, i've always liked that one because it because of the way it frames it as uh you're going to see other people you're going to interact with other people who have mm-hmm. what you don't have 
Mm -hmm. uh, but remember, it's it's just as as fleeting for them as it is for you. Right. And they always they get caught in the trap, too. Now, I'm not saying that you can't be a Christian and have wealth. There are a lot of really uh, benevolent, wealthy Christian families, especially here in the United States. They use their money for a great deal of good. And God has blessed them, you know, with that money because possibly because he knows they will handle it well. But money can be a trap. And those of us who, you know, work a nine to five job every day to buy a house and put food on the table, you know, we don't have a lot of it. But sometimes if we had more, what we do with it might not glorify God. And right. I think sometimes God withholds those blessings from people he knows that will be caught in the trap of letting that money and that wealth have too much power over their spiritual life and where it becomes an idol. And it should never, never be that. So right. God teaches us to be content with what we have because, you know, if we're always striving after something other than him, we've got our eyes on the wrong thing. <laughs> then you're not loving the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul and all your mind, are you? No, definitely not. And I, I found lots of scripture on this topic, so I'm going to read off another one. This is yeah, uh, go for it. First Timothy 6, 6 through 10. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. For those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. That's another verse that's been... <laughs> taken out of context and misread a lot. It is money a, is the root of all evil. Yeah. Yeah. It's not the money that's the root of all evil. It's the love of money. It's putting yeah. that money up on a pedestal and seeking after it above all other things. And I like it. It's the craving. They say it's the craving for that craving. Some have wandered away from the faith. And that's where Christians can fail big time. And my favorite, I actually memorized this verse a long time ago. I, I memorized the entire Sermon on the Mount from Matthew many years ago. I haven't practiced it as much as I should, so I still have to look it up But to pull the verses out of memory sometimes. But do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And that's from Matthew six nineteen through 21. Uh, that one really does speak to contentment, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. where, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Mm -hmm. But got to be careful what that treasure is don't you mhm mm yeah cuz i mean that i think sometimes that people who are born into poverty and live their whole lives in poverty are sometimes more content because they can focus on the relationships that matter like family and they're not distracted by making more or needing more or avoiding the government's taxes and all these other things that start that come with wealth. I mean, there there's contentment in just not having a lot and not needing a lot because you make what you have, you make it work, you make do with it. Yeah. Ecclesiastes 510. Uh, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor will he who loves wealth with his income. Uh, this is also vanity. 
Um, it, Ecclesiastes, uh, I had a pastor who once called it the grumpy old man book. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, it, it is a – whereas Proverbs is all uh, instructions to, to the son, Ecclesiastes mm-hmm. is like, yeah, well – None of it matters anyway. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, it the message is the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, if you love money, you'll never be satisfied. It, it goes right back to that the, the quote from the movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, but here's the thing about wishes. The more you want, the more or the more you have, the more you want. Mm-hmm. And not just money, not just wealth, not just wishes. It's any kind of idol. Yeah. Anything that you pursue that isn't bringing glory to God. Right. The last scripture, and, and uh, you pulled this one out, Hebrews 13, uh, 13, 5. Keep your life from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Yeah. And that's the promise that we have as Christians, that when we put our faith in Christ, he will fulfill our needs. It's not... He's not like, I think like Jesus put it in the Sermon on the Mount. He's like, if your child asks for a uh, bread, would you give him a rock? I mean, or if he asks for fish, would you give him a snake? It's like when your child asks you for things, you give them because you, you love your child and you want to give them good things. That's exactly what our relationship with our heavenly father is. He doesn't want to withhold blessings from us. And but we have to have our eyes fixed on him and let him fulfill our needs instead of chasing after things um, that we replace him in our lives with. And so that's a, always a good reminder that he will never yeah. leave us or forsake us. That uh, if we have a true need, God will find a way to provide. And I, that's part of my testimony. I mean, I saw that at a very young age. I saw God providing for my family, and so that's always. Uh, God as provider has always been uh, one of the stronger images of God in my life. True contentment is is found through through God, mm-hmm. through being content in Him, and, and and everything else. You will just always be wanting. So you had come up with a, a theme that didn't even occur to me, <laughs> because. I'm not even sure how to how to go into this. You tied in uh, you made a a very logical connection to the immense power that the genie has in mm-hmm. uh in both both versions of the film. Right. to the characteristics of God and I I didn't even draw that connection and I was really very impressed that it didn't occur to me that he was not all powerful because of something he was lacking and it uh, I'd love it if you'd take it there. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, it's interesting because as we mentioned in our last podcast, we have uh, recently joined the Christian podcast community and the the leader of the Christian podcast community, Andrew Rappaport, has a daily program that he does. And it's just like a little two minute uh, Rappaport daily that he does. And for the last couple months, he's been using those two minutes Monday through Friday to talk about a characteristic of God. And I'm going to play one for you here. I'm going to play the one on omnipotence before we continue on the discussion, because it's only two minutes. Why not? Welcome to the Rappaport Daily Edition, where we provide a quick biblical interpretations and applications. This is a ministry of striving for eternity. 
The attribute of God known as omnipotence. This is a compound word, as we saw before, with omni meaning all or total, and the potence meaning power. This is the idea that God is all-powerful, able to do anything consistent with his nature. God does all that he wills to do, not all that he's capable of doing. The idea of omnipotence is that it is working with the rest of his attributes. Remember, the things we learned about attributes is that they're all true of God, so we cannot separate these from who God is. So he is all-powerful, but he is also all-good and faithful and the other attributes that we will be seeing. So just as he is omnipotent, all-powerful, it's consistent with his very nature. This is something that we see a lot of people try to argue that somehow God is not all powerful if he allows evil in the world and they try to pit one attribute against the other. But these attributes do not work independent. They all work together and there's more than just those. And the argument is, is there only way of doing good to not allow evil? Well, that may cause some other problems that we may not be aware of because as we looked at last time, he's omniscient. He knows what we do not know. So when we look at the fact that he is all-powerful, there's nothing that he could do that's not within his nature. In other words, he can't create a square circle because that is illogical and logic is part of his nature. So he can do that which is within his nature, but it doesn't mean he does everything that he could do. This podcast is part of the Striving for Eternity ministry. For more content or to request a speaker or seminar to your church, go to strivingforeternity.org. Okay, so I was listening to them trying to catch up on some of our fellow podcasters and, you know, what's, what, what you have to offer in our new community. And he was talking about, you know, the omnis of God. There, there are four characteristics of God that... Uh, interestingly enough, are the massive stumbling block for a lot of atheists that, you know, having a God that is all powerful, why would he uh, create people to sin? And Mm -hmm. that is, you know, it's like the question of sinful man is if God is all powerful, why would he do that? But they all go hand in hand. You can't have all power if you don't have all knowledge and you can't have all knowledge if you can't, if you're not all present. So all of these Mm -hmm. things kind of go together. They go hand in hand. You can't have one with the other out the other. But yet the genie in this movie specifically says when he's talking to Aladdin in the cave, that he is not all knowing. He's only all powerful. And by not being all knowing, he can't be all powerful. (laughs) Because he doesn't know everything. So how could he have power over everything if he doesn't know everything? And I just thought that was very interesting that that they kind of got the genie wrong. I mean, he's very powerful. Not not to get not to say that he isn't presented as a very powerful being, but he's not all powerful. He's not the most powerful because yeah. God God would trump him, which would mean that Jafar is not the second. He's actually the third because of God's <laughs> above the genie. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, it, it seems to me that at least in the in the 2019 version, they made it a point of saying the most powerful creature. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure how they did it in the first one. So, like a created, um, the most powerful of created beings, or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because it, when I saw this, I I did a little research on you know where genies came from, what what the mythology the behind and them. the mythology yeah. of them were, and and all that. And I was surprised to find out that that well, first off, they predate uh, Islam, mm-hmm. um, and Islam actually 
um, co-opted the idea of, of jinn or genies mm-hmm. uh, when the cultures merged. But in Christianity and, and uh, I think in Judaism, there are angels who are always good and there are uh, demons who are always bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, pure, pure good or pure obedience for angels, I think, is is the more accurate way to say it, and pure disobedience for demons. But in Middle East scholarship, uh, the the jinn actually fall into the category of more like humans, where they can be either good or evil, either mm-hmm. obedient or disobedient. Uh, but in none of the literature are they the all-powerful thing that we see in Aladdin. Mm -hmm. They're all very limited. So this version, not even in the original Alibaba and the 40 Thieves or uh, Aladdin and the Magic Lamp stories were the genies of this level of power. So this was, I, I believe this level of power was actually created for Disney's movie to, to make that point. Yeah, but the interesting thing was is that he 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 says he's the he's the most powerful, right? But then he turns around and he says, "I can't make anybody love anybody, and I can't bring anybody mm-hmm. back from the dead." And I thought that was very interesting that they made it. Well, they obviously had made the comment about bringing somebody back from the bed because Aladdin nearly dies later. But yeah, the big deal in that is is that God has brought somebody back from the dead, and that is what yeah. our entire faith hinges than, on. Yeah. Yep. So, because Christ conquered death, death is death is the uh, the thing that is the penalty basically for our sin. And because he conquered death, that means that uh, we can see him as the liberator from our sin. Because if he hadn't conquered death, then he hadn't conquered sin. And yeah. so, his rising from the dead is important. And it wasn't just him. I mean, Jesus brought Lazarus back from the dead. So it right. It, and he raised an, a, a girl from the dead. So there is multiple places in scripture. In his name, yeah, a number yeah. of people have been raised. Yeah, and yeah. you know, it, it it's it's interesting to me. You think of all the power that that the genie is present is presented as having in this movie and the original movie, incredible cosmic power, ultimate cosmic power, and in he's a still little tiny little living space. Even with all that power, he's not even close. To what our God is. Yes. Not even not even in the same solar system as the ballpark. <laughs> and it's not creative power. It's duplicating power. I mean, it's like he doesn't yeah. create. He can make things appear. I mean, he, and he even says that. And this is actually a really great transition because the last thing I wanted to talk about was um, the internal versus external change. Because he even says that when, he, when he's having this discussion with Aladdin. He's like, I made you look like a prince on the outside, but on the inside, you're still Aladdin. So his great power was all facade. It was all an external change that wasn't real. He was still the same person on the inside. And that is the difference between God's power is that he changes us on the inside. When we accept Christ into our heart, it's a transformative power that turns us into something that we weren't before. And God's power is creative. I mean, he created the universe. He just spoke it into existence. And he didn't have to uh, create a facade of anything. He just made it happen because it was within his glory and something he wanted to do. 
and mm-hmm. is it glorified him to create a world that would possibly worship him <laughs> and possibly not and that was have, to have his the option yeah it, this is interesting because when i started looking up some verses to try and demonstrate this the first one i found was in first samuel which you don't usually think of going to the old testament no for this but it's actually i think one of the best verses in first samuel it's first samuel 16 7 uh, but the lord said to samuel do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because i have rejected him for the lord sees not as man sees man looks on the outward appearance but the lord looks on the heart and I think this speaks very well to some of the story that was going on in Aladdin because Aladdin was superficially changing in order to get the girl. But in the end, he had to win her through his own personality. I mean, that was the whole point of the magic carpet ride was, you know, taking her out and just being himself with her. Yeah, it was it was almost spiritual rather than material. Right, right. And looking beyond, because she was so tired of looking at princes. So it wasn't something that she was even looking for. She was looking for someone that she could connect to on a on a higher level than uh, royalty. But God doesn't look at the outward man. He looks at the inward man. And you can hide a lot of uh, horrible stuff in your heart and put a really pretty facade over the top of it. And I think a lot of people do that. They go through life worrying about the exterior and not worrying about the interior. And mm-hmm. as Christians, we're actually ordered. That was kind of the whole point of the Sermon on the Mount was was Christ was telling his followers, he's like, listen, don't just do things to be seen by other people because you get your reward from their accolades, but you do things to be seen by God who sees in secret and he will reward you in secret. And that was a good bit of the whole point of the Sermon on the Mount was internalizing mm-hmm. that that um that need to be clean and to cleanse your inner life and to be doing things for the right reasons, the motivations of the heart, because that's what God is concerned about, not the exterior man. And when that happens, then you end up with Second Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And that's a beautiful promise. Uh, it's, I did want to just throw in Romans uh, 2.29. It probably would have fit better between 1 Samuel and 2 Corinthians. <laughs> Wish I had thought of it then. Yeah. On the contrary, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is of the heart. Mm-hmm. By the spirit, not the letter. That person's praise is not from people, but from God. Yeah. And that that really does speak to I mean it it's a beautiful example of the consistency of the message of Christ throughout all of scripture. Mm-hmm. And how it it really is about what's, you know, in here and seeking glory for God uh with all your heart and all your soul. Mm-hmm. And uh it's that's the way to the contentment that will see us rewarded in secret. Right. Right. And that we should be laying up, as we said earlier, laying up our treasures in heaven, not on earth and seeking God's glory uh, and finding contentment. I mean, it just all fits together so well. That is actually one of the reasons why I like this movie is that it's so easy to discuss spiritual things. Uh, they they basically lay it all out on the carpet or the mag- magic carpet. <laughs> the magic carpet is the case, maybe. <laughs> To be able to to segue into uh, spiritual matters, because so much of 
what they're talking about in the movie is really a, a, a heart condition. It's talking about spiritual things in a physical setting. And so yeah. it, in that way, this was a, a beautiful movie to watch because it is a, a great conversation starter to spiritual things. I got to say, I feel better about this movie coming out of this conversation than I did going into it. Um, <laughs> it's uh, I'm still... I don't know if it's I don't know if it's better than the original. It's different. Yeah. Uh, but it, I feel like I feel like there was a lot more to this one, a lot more meat in this version than in the original one, and and I really appreciate that meat more coming out of this conversation. Yeah, and I'm sure we've probably missed some things and are. No. 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 We never, never miss anything. <laughs> Well, our listeners can comment, um, uh, and obviously we would want you to uh, come to the show notes, uh, which are areyoujustwatching.com slash 93. And there's lots of ways you can start conversations. We have our Facebook group, which you can get to by uh, going to areyoujustwatching.com slash community. And we'd really like you for you to come join. It's actually, we've been picking up a few members recently uh, with our joining the Christian podcast community, a lot of them are are popping in to say hi and, mm-hmm. and joining in. And we're, we're very excited to be a part of the Christian podcast community. And I hope that you would go and check out some of the other uh, podcasts that we have, a lot of Christian podcasts. So if you listen to this podcast, because we're Christians, um, there's a lot of different podcasts there to choose from, lots of uh, theology, different people discussing different types of theology and, yeah. and Christian living. So there a lot of really good stuff there. I do and urge you to check out uh, Andrew Rappaport's uh, Rap Report. <laughs> it's interesting that his, his name, it's almost repeating the title of his podcast, but his, his podcast is called The Rap Report. And he is going to be interviewing me on that uh, before the end of this month. So if you want to cool. hear more about my testimony and the background behind why I do this podcast two minutes or less oh no that's his daily one he has another one that's much longer so he has two podcasts so I will be on that uh probably I don't know exactly when he'll air the episode but we're actually recording it in a week so we'll see it'll probably be out by the end of the month and something new I have written a book and I'm real excited to introduce it uh it's basically the same title as the as the podcast is, are you just watching? And it is on sale on Amazon. You can find it. It's a guided journal so that those of you who have been listening to us um, tear apart these movies and really, you know, break the bones apart and get to the meat of the matter. This book is to hopefully teach you how to do that for yourself. And so that you're not just watching movies that you are uh, taking your Christian worldview to them and, and finding the meat uh, within the, within a movie, you know, finding the themes and uh and it's got guided uh, journal pages in there where you can take notes and and look up scripture and um just there is a tool to really help you uh figure out how to be more critical in your entertainment and so you can find that on amazon.com and we'll put links to it in our show notes as well and absolutely we really appreciate um people uh, making use of that and passing it on to especially young people, because I think it's a skill, a discernment skill that our young people, especially in the church, need to learn. And uh, and all of the purchases of that book, I will be wrapping any money I make off that book into the podcast. So it will be like making a donation to the podcast if you purchase the book. And um, 
please donate to us on patreon.com slash are you just watching and we want to thank our very steady supporters and i think i will be sending them books because they have been a long time all all four of these people amanda john craig hardy stephen brown the second and peter chapman have been generously supporting us for uh quite a while you should sign them yes we will probably be offering the book as a patreon incentive here soon so we do ask that you check out a patreon and consider giving us a regular donation to help keep this uh, podcast going Uh, we use it uh, mainly for paying our expenses and keeping us on the air Uh, tim and i do this for fun we don't make money off of it yeah do uh, subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. Those ratings and reviews are very useful to us to help us know you're out there and that what we're doing matters. And we also, uh, you can also call us at 513-818-2959 and leave us a voicemail. Or you can email us at feedback at com. All of those methods are available. And you can follow me on Twitter at efranklin. And I'm on Twitter at Renchepley, R-E-N-C-H-E-P-L-E. And I believe that's it for this podcast. If you'd like to have a say in what we're going to review next, um, do come on to our Facebook page and make your suggestions. We are always happy to hear them. Yeah, we're we're good for doing a DVD too, so. Yeah, uh, I suspect we maybe already have July figured out, but. <laughs> really, it- it's, I don't. I don't know of any really big movies coming out in <laughs> July. <laughs> I was thinking we could do Shazam, maybe. <laughs> well, we're so happy all of y'all have listened to us again and and made it all the way to the end of this podcast to hear me say thank you for listening. I'm Eve Franklin. I'm Tim Martin. And don't just watch. Two. Two. Two great books and one website. Visit strivingforeternity.org. There are two books that I would like to recommend you purchase. What they, meaning people who aren't Christians, other religions believe, and what we believe. Systematic Theology Made Simple. Both are great resources, especially if you plan on witnessing to somebody. Strivingforeternity.org. 